Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Well, here we are, still in lockdown, still trying to do things in inventive and creative way. So this week we decided to have a look at innovation and speak to the man heading up that particular part of University College Cork. They, in turn, supply technology to our second guest, who is running a nursing home. And then, just to cap it all off, we speak to an Irish farmhouse cheesemaker on the challenges that COVID-19 has thrown up for them. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy and McCarthy Insurance Group. Putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie If nothing else, this COVID-19 crisis has helped us all to innovate. We're all doing things in a different way and in many ways, in ways that couldn't even have been conceived before this. But for my next guest, it's second nature. Dr. Rich Ferry, Director of UCC Innovation. How are you? Uh, I'm bearing up in the circumstances. I recognise how challenging it is for everybody at the moment. Uh, But we're trying to keep business as usual. You've had to do a lot of different things in the university. I mean, everything was moved online very quickly that presumably brought with it a lot of challenges, if we could put it that way. Yeah. Well, uh, early on, we uh, we thought, you know, we can't just um, kind of um, um, take this uh, um, and, and not carry on our business. So we looked to what platforms were available to allow us to carry on. And uh, I have to say, uh, UCC's IT services team have been fantastic and uh, obviously there are a lot of platforms now that enable you to do, conduct meetings online we're using microsoft teams a lot we're using zoom when necessary and uh, i have to say that uh, we're being as productive as you might imagine given uh, the challenges we're facing yeah and, and and boy are those challenges quite quite severe in in, in some cases uh, now i'm 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 new to this relatively, uh, but your accent is not uh, from Ballyfihan, if I can put it that way. Where do you hail from originally, Rich? Yeah, yeah I'm a blow-in, I'm afraid. So uh, originally, um, I'm from uh, Merseyside. I was born on the Wirral. So you can probably detect uh, a slight Scouse accent. Well, we can let you away with that one, to be fair. You nearly won the league <laughs> this year. Um, look, I, you've done a lot in your career in that sphere of innovation. And it's it's one of those terms that, that people, people don't understand, for the most part. Uh, one man's innovation is another man's stupid idea. So how, how did you end up uh, pioneering that space? Uh, well, I'd gone to university and I'd studied uh, biochemistry and molecular genetics. So I was actually a gene jockey back in the day Um, and I recognized I was beginning to know a lot about a little and uh, and the kind of information I was carrying around in my mind um, wasn't the kind of thing that excited people uh, that I associated with Um, and I was really quite keen on trying to take that kind of research knowledge and apply it in a way that benefited uh, everybody essentially. Uh, You you were involved in DNA fingerprinting and, and making that um, widely available. I mean, that that's that's quite a thing to have on your CV. Yeah, back in the day, that was uh, groundbreaking technology. So it's kind of routine these days. Uh, but uh, the kind of training I'd had uh, at the, at university lent itself to harnessing DNA fingerprinting. And so I was involved in setting up a company to uh, apply DNA fingerprinting technology. And uh, we used that for forensic casework. We did it for we used it for immigration analysis, parentage testing. Um, and I guess if we look back at the uh, 
the famous cases uh, that came out of our company at that time. There'd be the Colin Pitchfork murders in the UK and the uh, the O.J. Simpson case, famously, uh, in the United States, where, of course, the uh, the DNA evidence and the actual uh, outcome of that trial uh, weren't exactly in line. Yeah, wow, OK. And, and still talked about to this date on many other podcasts. Uh, we won't do it on this one, but I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. you, you always, therefore, have been at the cutting edge of this type of technology. In fact, it's the cutting edge of, of an evolution of the technology that we've had. I mean, how did you end up finding yourself in that kind of space? What was your university journey? Okay, so I started out at University of Sussex uh, in the UK, uh, did my uh, undergraduate degree, uh, moved swiftly to University of Reading where I did a PhD. Um, and then my first job was uh, in the, uh, working for the Forensic Science Service in the UK, um, trying to develop that DNA technology for forensic casework. I really wanted to do something that um, the harness science for the benefit uh, of society. Most of us, when we find something new that makes our life easier, we kind of just say, oh, thankfully somebody has thought of that. Uh, you you come at it from a different perspective. You're the guy who helps create that. And I suppose that leads you to your current role at University College Cork. All of these advancements started somewhere. And it's about giving somebody that start, isn't it? That's exactly right. So one of the, the thrills I have in, in my current job it's just the breadth of high-quality science that we have to uh, to deal with at UCC. It's a great university, um, conducting great science, and the entrepreneurial nature of my academic colleagues never uh, ceases to delight me. So I'm working with bright, intelligent, enthusiastic people who want to see their science impact society, and it's great to be able to give my commercial expertise, bring that to the mix as well. Look, for my own time at UCC, um, there was some of this going on, some research, but it's really ramped up in recent years. And the the marrying of research and business is relatively new. How well are we doing that in Cork? Well, um, UCC is right up there in the lead table. So if you look at the aggregate amount of uh, research funding that goes into UCC, over the last three or four years, we've typically been the nation's uh, highest um, last year Trinity pipped us but we still got about 100 million euros of uh, research income coming into the university now what's interesting about the way UCC now does its research is a lot of that is partnered with uh, with industry as well so there's that great mix of uh, university academic research and commercial know-how from industry and that gives a great opportunity to not only uh, license um, science uh, from the university to industrial partners, but also to form new companies around that science. And, and one of the things that I learned uh, through uh, speaking to the Sprint Accelerator program uh, when they were on uh, Red Business a couple of weeks ago is, is the idea is that sometimes the university can hold on to a little bit of these new companies and, and support and invest in research that then becomes... Um, self-perpetuating, that the money that comes in can fund other research. So it's a very solid model um, that, that just doesn't result in the university giving everything away or training somebody and letting them off. That's exactly right. So, yeah, we do take equity in our startup and spin-out companies. Um, and, of course, um, we have a very generous uh, policy at UCC that allows our academic colleagues to own uh, shares in the companies they create. Uh, the reason why UCC takes equity, of course, as you've described, it's uh, when these companies go on to be successful and they're acquired by larger companies or they float on the stock exchange, there might be a return then to the university 
Um, and typically the university is minded to use that return to further this agenda. And uh, I've certainly been very um, pleased with the way the university has uh, supported our office using that cash uh, over recent years. I mean, we're all looking for the next big thing. Um, ha- have you found the next big thing yet? Well, uh, there's just so many opportunities. I think it'd be unfair for me to, to kind of highlight any one particular um, company. But what I would say is uh, the breadth of what we have going on at UCC is incredible. Uh, the energy that I see from uh, our academic colleagues and their commitment uh, to commercialization is uh, first rate. And uh, when you've got uh, an institution the size of ours that has uh, great research centers like APC and Tyndall and Marai, all part of the mix, there's a, there are real opportunities to create high-quality businesses um, and to, importantly, create jobs, which is one of the things that drives me, particularly at this time where we can see that there's going to be economic ramifications to the COVID crisis, that the university can still contribute to creating jobs and indeed sustaining Irish jobs, I think is really, really important. Do you think that the current crisis, um, at which we are at the very early stages, may have an impact on some of the work of UCC Innovation if funding doesn't come in, and we know funding for third level is always going to be a challenge? Could there be an implication for programmes such as yours, important and all as they are, if the money's not there, you mightn't be able to do as much innovation as you'd like? Uh, Well, look, you know, we're very fortunate in that our office uh, is funded, at least in part, by Enterprise Ireland and Knowledge Transfer Ireland. They've been very generous uh, to us uh, over the last decade or so, and that's really helped us to build the capability at UCC uh, for this kind of work. Uh, If that funding uh, was challenged uh, as a result of the COVID crisis, it would be difficult for us. Uh, But there's been nothing uh, yet to indicate that that would be the case. And indeed, Given the importance of regenerating the economy post-COVID, I think it would be very unwise for the government to uh, focus on areas such as ours. Because what we're really trying to do is to support Irish companies as they develop and grow and to create new companies which create jobs and benefits the economy. Finally, Rich, I have to ask you, you, you described yourself as a gene jockey, which is a beautiful term uh, for someone in your area. <laughs> you know, with COVID-19 and with people talking about vaccines and how well viruses hold up, I, I mean, it's a little knowledge a dangerous thing when it comes to that. Do you find yourself tuning in a little bit too much to the scientific end of the discussion? Well, we're, we're all experts at the moment, aren't we, in infectious disease and vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do have a little bit of knowledge and it does help uh, to put the whole I guess, debate uh, into context. Um, But what I would say is um, we're so fortunate at UCC that the response from our organisation to the crisis has been phenomenal. Um, The response to um, the uh, announcements of additional research funding, we've really um, rallied to that cry. And uh, certainly um, in terms of getting uh, trials of, um, of local technology, so we're working with a company called 8 West, Uh, to do uh, real-time monitoring for fever of uh, healthcare workers who are out there at the front line. That kind of technology, uh, coupled with our uh, clinical expertise, I think has a really great opportunity to help manage this crisis. So we're really having to be out there on the front line too, responding to the challenge and making sure that our academics and clinicians can engage effectively with companies 
as they look to mount a response uh, against this dreadful uh, virus. Well, as chance would have it, we are off next on Red Business to the Oak Lodge Nursing Home, which is one of those areas that is trialling that exact technology which you were just speaking about. But uh, we leave it there for now. Dr. Rich Ferry, Director of UCC Innovation, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations as well, by the way, to all uh, the Ignite 11 crew who have just come out uh, of their uh, course and the awards were the other night and well done to all the winners there. I know you'll join me in that. But for now, Rich Ferry, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Red Business with McCarthy Insurance Group, putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie So as we heard Rich mention there, there are already innovative ideas coming out of UCC that are really helping different types of businesses take on the challenge of COVID-19. And one of those businesses is the Oak Lodge Nursing Home in Cloyne, in Churchtown South, to be precise, in County Cork. With me now uh, on the line is Dermot Adalik, who is the owner of the Oak Lodge Nursing Home. Uh, Dermot, how are you? Good, thank you now, uh, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Look, let's begin with the fact that you own a nursing home. um, And right now, uh, they are at the centre of the COVID-19 storm. What have the last few weeks been like for you? Uh, very busy, uh, Jonathan, and they certainly have had their moments of uh, significant concern and worry. And uh, I suppose leadership is being called on. There's a uh, deep reserves of, I suppose, uh, people's <clears throat> um, many years of preparing. And in you know, for events like this, without knowing it, uh, but our, our reserves are being called on uh, by every one of the staff, by all of us in the leadership team in the management. Uh, to ensure that we provide for our staff and for our residents uh, in particular uh, all the measures that will ensure their safety, to optimise their safety or do everything in our power to uh, keep our residents and our staff safe at a time like this. So, yeah, it has been very busy, um, somewhat worrying, but uh, we have risen to that challenge. We have some excellent, uh, fantastic staff uh, both as management and uh, staff, frontline staff who have really shown their medals, shown their leadership, come up with new ideas day in, day out on better ways of doing what we always do. Mm. So there's certainly innovation happening from the ground up and we really welcome that and are delighted to to be part of it. But let, let's talk about that, that crew, as it's called, the COVID-19 Remote Early Warning System. Tell us what it does and, and how it's being applied in the home. Okay, the <coughs> crew, we're delighted uh, when Professor Barry O'Reilly of UCC uh, uh, announced this and announced that uh, Oak Lodge Nursing would be the first place to trial it in the community. Um, so we're, it's a great protection for our residents. Um, essentially what it is, I suppose, is uh, since the beginning of the COVID outbreak, we have been taking uh, our staff temperatures morning and evening, as well, of course, as the residents, but for staff to ensure they couldn't bring in the COVID or transmit it inwards. Um, so this now will take uh, this little device, which is placed underneath their arms, uh, staff arms, will uh, take the temperature every 15 minutes overnight and uh, by day. So if they're at work or if they're at home, it's taking their temperature and relaying it via Bluetooth into a smart device uh, such as a phone or in a wearable device and then onwards from there into a centralised data that we have at Oak Lodge. So the Director of Nursing can at all times be aware if any of our staff have a raised temperature that would be of significant concern at 
a symptom or as an indicator that there may be a, a fever brewing, uh, such as COVID. So it really, really allows us to be ahead of the game, I suppose, and on top of it, and to ensure as early as is humanly possible to identify anyone who might bring uh, COVID into us. So that then obviously allows us to, to prevent it uh, coming in insofar as is, is humanly possible. Uh, how do staff feel about that? Because that, that that's an extra little bit that they have to do above and beyond just their run-of-the-mill work. I mean, are they comfortable with that idea of their temperature being constantly monitored given the potential that it has to, to keep COVID-19 out of a nursing home like yours? I think every one of the staff are so uh, are so anxious to do everything possible to prevent it from coming in. Many, many of them, or nearly all of them, have been um, isolating. They've been confirming to us day in, day out, in writing, that they're complying with all the national guidelines and with best practice. They've gone through several different training courses to ensure they're fully competent um, with PP. And with all the information that is available with, regarding COVID, and they're doing everything humanly possible. So this was to actually probably an assurance for them rather than an extra burden. I didn't hear anyone seeing seeing it in any way negative or as a burden. And they are heroes. They have been excellent uh, all along. And I think uh, I want to take this opportunity to really thank them and congratulate them. And uh, they've shown shown me a fantastic uh, spirit over the last over the last number of weeks. Dermot, th- this is really just a, a massive social experiment uh, in every sector of society. Um, and we are seeing different sectors in different lights. And one of those sectors is the nursing home sector. Um, how do you think it's going to change after this? Once we get over this immediate crisis and making sure that people in nursing homes are safe, do you think that we're going to have to take a long, hard look at how every nursing home in the country is run? I think we'd have to have a long, hard look at how we do our business as a world or as a society, how we go about our daily lives and what are the risks involved. Uh, We have really industrialised over 200 years uh, going in one direction and I'm not sure that that is uh, showing the fruits nowadays, we yeah, there may be a huge amount of capital and a huge amount of money, but uh, we realise at a time like this that money can buy what is so important, and that is uh, life itself, uh, to keep us safe and peace of mind and freedom. Those very, very hard won over many, many centuries those uh, values um, and those uh, I suppose freedoms uh, that we have won uh, are now put at risk because of maybe because of some of the other uh, aspects of how we go about our, our daily living we have launched our plans uh, two years ago and got planning permission for them last year for a, a dementia care village for the future or a memory care village where you have five or six people living in a house so we're moving away from the institutional model we've never liked the institutional model we try to deal with everybody individually and I I think as a society we can listen to our older people much more rather than saying oh we put put people in a nursing home you know sometimes it's very difficult not to have 24 7 care it's required and people are most safe in a nursing home at a certain point in their lives or in their journey that doesn't mean that we should remove family from the equation or anything like that before we finish up um we we talk a lot about nursing homes um, but we forget that they are actually people's homes as well. How how are the people in Oak Lodge getting on right now? Um, they're, they're they're aware of what's going on in the outside world. Um, how are they holding up? 
um, quite good uh, and quite aware. Some of them wouldn't have the full uh, awareness of what's happening outside. Um, but for, of those who are, one 93-year-old gentleman said to me last Sunday morning, um, this week will tell a lot, you know, and understanding that we're now passing the surge, as it were, and, and moving forward. So many of them have their own understanding of it. They're following the news, they're reading the papers, they're talking to their families at home, and life hasn't changed massively for them. However, they do miss family visits and friends' visits, um, but they are able to, I suppose, interpret and keep us going in ways as well, and they do keep us grounded. As you know, the only people have far more resilience, maybe, and far more um, reserves of, uh, of wisdom um, than we often give credit for. So we work together with them and we're delighted to do so and their, their values show us the way forward uh, in, at a time like this and I think we can learn a lot from them. Okay, uh, well here's hoping that they take everything they can from the beautiful surroundings you have down there uh, in Cloyne. Uh, Dermot Adolig, owner of the Oak Lodge Nursing Home, we wish you and all the staff and everybody there the very best. Thank you for joining us on Red Business. Thank you. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy and McCarthy Insurance Group. Putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie Now let's talk about something completely different to COVID-19 for a while because guess what? Life continues uh, and uh, we still enjoy the things we enjoyed before. And my next guest is somebody who has been working in a very unique and special area uh, that is a passion for anyone who likes their food. And it is the area of cheese. And I'm delighted to be joined uh, from Duras, from Duras Cheese Making, Jeffa Gill. Jeffa, how are you? Hello, Jonathan. Thank, thank you for asking me. I'm very well. And how are things in Duras during these complicated times? In Duras Cheese, well, we're doing, we're ticking over at the moment. We had, um, we've had a big drop in sales since the hospitality sector and the um, food service sector has dropped off. When, when the restaurants closed and the hotels closed and the tourists closed and so on, it's made a, it's made a huge difference to farm, all farmhouse cheesemakers, I think. Um, generally, we would be, oh, I don't know, 65, 70% down on business since the middle of March. Um, but luckily, we have local sales and we've got great supermarkets locally that take local produce and we're, we're ticking over and things will, will, will improve. Um, they certainly will and, and again that hospitality sector gone now but not forever so it, it will come back. Ha- have you had to adjust how much cheese you're making? Oh yes we have. I mean we, we would we would have been doing because we were quite busy. I mean, the whole sector was very vibrant up until this terrible crisis. Um, we would have been making five five days a week, but now we are probably on two average of two days a week. And uh, so, yes, our production has has diminished, and we've had to let a couple of part timers go, which was is very sad and quite unfortunate because we had a great we well we have a great team, and hopefully they'll they'll all come back to us. Um, yes, it's it's made a big difference. We're a lot quieter around here than we were before. Um, let, let's talk about the products that you make, though. You have five different types of cheese. Talk us through them. Well, our standard Duras cheese is um, the, the the one that we sell most of. It's um, one uh, 1.3 kilo wheel. We have a 360 gram mini Duras. We have uh, a young, soft 
cheese that's uh, about 225 grams called Duras Oak. And uh, we also make a um, hard cheese out of raw milk called Dunmanis, which we just make in the summer. And uh, we have a, a, a limited amount of, of smoked mini cheeses as well. Okay, so there's a broad selection of cheeses there, but I know from a friend of mine who makes cheese, it's an awful messy business, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm, I wouldn't describe it as being a messy business. I think it's very hands-on. Yes, uh, I think you... Um, it's certainly a very... Um, artisan craft and and um, yeah you've got to get your hands in there all right um, without giving away anything about your age it's fair to say you've been in Ireland quite a while but you your your accent tells us that you were originally from England what brought you to Ireland in the first place Jeff? I know my accent has never changed overall. I'm living in Ireland now for probably the best part of almost 50 years. I came when I was very young to Dublin and um, went back to London to work for a couple of years. I used to come to hol- on holiday to West Cork when I was in Dublin and loved it. Always wanted to return. Came back with my partner at the time and we bought a small holding here in Durris in um, 1973 and uh, completely idealistic and uncapitalized but over the years you know um, my children were born here we've educated here they've had a great life we've and I started making cheese from the herd of um, small uh, we had a small herd of cows trying to make a living here in West Cork in the 70s wasn't easy we relied <laughs> <Yeah>. very much <laughs> you know you can imagine there wasn't a lot of jobs everybody had to invent their own jobs and um with good people around, lots of good help, and um, eventually the, the business grew up bit by bit by bit. The more cheese I made, the more money got back put back into the business, and you know, built on a little bit more here and there. And uh, just, um, I mean, I remember in the eighties borrowing money at a huge uh, interest rates, but from the Bank of Ireland, who were always very helpful, actually. But we, we we survived that way, but but the cheese business just grew embryonically, and we I began to take it a lot more seriously, learnt a lot more about it. Kosh, the umbrella organisation of uh, for cheese makers, was formed in 1983. There was um, help from UCC for cheese makers, and I can only say that. You know, life sometimes just happens like that. (laughs) You don't always make a plan. You know, nowadays you have to make a business plan and all the rest of it. But those days, it it it, the cheese making happened because I loved it. Yeah, it was obviously going to sell, and it was a way of making a living here. But but hang on a second, you you didn't come from an agrarian background. You didn't know one end of a cheese wheel from the other. Presumably, when you moved to Duras, this was something you literally taught yourself from scratch. Uh, true, but I did know one end of a cow from another. I was born. <laughs> I was born on a farm, you know, farming background in Worcestershire in England, and uh, that's that's what that's what my childhood was being brought bringing up on a mixed fruit farm, uh, sheep, cattle, cows. I, I've always been a country person, really. I, I lived in London for a couple of years. I lived in Dublin for about four or five years. I loved the city too, but I think coming back down here to West Cork was something that I always wanted to do and um, just made it happen. 
Um, you look back now on on your illustrious cheese making career, if I can call it that, since 1979. Um, and we we have a very good sector. It's it's in hibernation, like most of the economy now. But how how quickly do you think you can get back to where you were? I mean, it, it, by this time next year, should all be well? Do you think? Well, I think just I think by hanging in there and. Uh, We've changed our model of business a bit by we, we've never we've never done markets before here. We've always used our lovely distribution network, which we have a, a very strong one. But we're starting to sell more directly. We're putting an online shop on our website. We're dealing with neighbour food markets. We're doing a lot more direct selling, and we are serving uh, the super values in the area. Um, we by keeping the brand alive i think it's very important i think we will we will get back it, it it'll take a while to get back to where we were and we've had to put some of our expansion plans on hold we a little bit more building i was doing here and we had to stop that but um my daughter is coming into the business or has come into the business and she will be the one who will be driving it on in the future really um it's a, who knows what's going to happen this time next year? I can't really make any guesses. We er, er, it changes all the time, doesn't it? But I think we will. I think that the farmhouse cheese brand in Ireland is strong enough to definitely to to definitely come back. Okay, well, Jeff, we wish you and everyone else in Duras Cheese the very best of luck. People can look you up. You're on the website durascheese.com. Are you doing sales through the website? We're just putting on an online shop uh, at the moment now. So it should be up and running in a few days. Okay, well, I look forward to getting a little bit in the post now because you've made me very hungry for Doris cheese. <laughs> Jeff Gill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. My thanks to Jeffa and indeed to all of my guests again this week. If you want to get involved, Red Business at redfm.ie is the email address. All episodes are up on redextra.ie. Myra Hayes Goff was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business with McCarthy Insurance Group, putting business in Cork first. MIG.ie.